And you can open that Bible up to Romans chapter 1. Thank you for that. And we'll just read up to about verse 29, maybe a, a brief pause in between here. Uh, Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And so, oh, about the last five weeks, we've been looking at this just deep section Uh, The power of the gospel, the good news of salvation and what God has done through his son, Jesus, redeeming sinful man by the death of Jesus on the cross, glorifying God through the, the process of salvation, the redemptive work and saving men from uh, their sinful living and the consequences thereof. Uh, We also see not only the power of the gospel to transform, everyone who believes can be saved by the good news of what Jesus has done by dying on the cross for sinners. But we also see uh, that the wrath of God, so the salvation of God, the good news of God, and the wrath of God is manifested from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And we did a whole teaching just on the wrath of God. Seems like such a harsh, hard topic, but it's actually part of just the righteousness of God and the justice of God that there would be wrath towards sin. Uh, It's been said that the wrath of God is not a fitful outburst, like maybe, uh, maybe some of us who are wrathful in certain situations, uh, it can come across and from fitful outbursts of wrath. That's not the wrath of God. His wrath is a settled response. A settled response towards sin. What, it's essentially what a doctor feels as cancer is ravaging his patient. Just that anger at cancer, that sorrow at cancer, that desire to uh, rid his patient of the disease, or perhaps a parent who is understandably repulsed at the drugs that are ruining their son, And bringing such sadness to them. And so the wrath of God, it's this not fitful outburst, but a settled response. Verse 19 tells us why. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power in Godhead 
so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their heart to dishonor their body among themselves. And so something that we regularly see is knowledge that man knows. And we see that. You might underline every time the the, the word know is used, K-N-O-W, We have knowledge of God. We have knowledge of His power, knowledge of His attributes, knowledge of design, knowledge of righteous judgment, we'll see in verse 32. And even though we knew God, we would not glorify Him, and and there, there will be an exchange that takes place. And something like three times the word exchange is used. We know God, but we don't want God. And so we exchange him for a created thing. And every single one of us in this amphitheater, every human being that has walked the earth has participated in their own heart in exchanging uh, the glory of the creator for the created thing. And, and we de-God God is kind of a phrase or a word that I appreciate. De-God God and instead receive something that's been created that doesn't even measure up at all to, uh, uh, to our creator. And so once that exchange happens, then again, probably three times we see, well, then God gives us over. So we know God. We don't worship God. We exchange God for something else that's created, not even comparable in any way, shape, or form in glory. Uh, And so once we exchange God, God gives us over. Okay? And this giving over is an expression of God's wrath. It's actually in the, um, when you study the language of Romans, the tense that it is in, is that there's this given. It's currently the wrath of God is upon man in that he gives us over essentially to what you want. Giving over is an expression of God's wrath. And I was listening to Alistair Begg last night and this morning, and he said, yes, it's an expression of God's wrath, but it's also an expression of his love. The worst thing in the world would be if God was indifferent that we didn't want him. That God was indifferent that we would go ahead and worship something that walked or crawled or creeped instead of uh, the almighty, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipotent creator who's forever blessed, forever amen. The worst thing in the world is if that incredible God was indifferent to our idolatry. Can you imagine if he was indifferent to our leaving him? But he's not indifferent. 
He's repulsed by sin. He's angry at sin. And so the following verses, if you were to look at the J.B. Phillips translation, uh, J.B. Phillips was a Greek scholar in the 1940s who had a heart for high schoolers in England. And so he uh, translated the New Testament in a language that was, would be easy for high schoolers to understand. And as I, I was a high school pastor for about 10 years, and, uh, and so I can appreciate the language that's used. I think once a high school pastor, always a high school pastor. Uh, I was inviting a guy to uh, the couple's dinner this week, and he goes, man, you had me at dinner, you lost me at that there would be games at it. <laughs> And I go, hey, once a high school pastor, always a high school pastor. Then I found him a plumber this week, and he said, you're awesome. And I said, it's because of the high school games. So it won't be those kind of games. It'll be just fun interaction. Anyways, uh, the J.B. Phillips translation has a heading over verses 25 through 32. And the heading says this, the fearful consequence of deliberate atheism. Okay, so the final verses of chapter 1 could just be very well headed. The fearful consequence of deliberate atheism. And in this chapter, verses 16, all the way through, uh, really through chapter 2, halfway through chapter 3, we see that judgment is here and now evident in the moral chaos of our culture. It's the culture that Paul observed in Rome, which is not all that far off from the culture that we see in the United States today in 2023. And so let's just continue to see 25 through 27. Uh, we, read, we read judgment in this form. We took two weeks to see judgment here and now in the moral chaos of the LGBTQA++ agenda. And so I'm not going to do that anymore. We're not in that anymore, but I'm just going to read the verses. If you weren't here the last two Sundays, come talk to me. I'll get you those teachings. We're not posting them right now, um, but, uh, but I can get those to you. But it says that, they exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And so again, why did Paul go there? Why did he have to use homosexuality as an example of someone who has de-godded God and worshipped the created thing? We talked about that the last number of weeks and just listening to beg on the subject last night. Where he said, it's not the greatest sin, but it is the clearest example of disordered affection. And I think that's really helpful in understanding why he took so much time for that sin 
and such little time for these other sins. And we've looked at that for two weeks, how it's the clearest example of a disordered affection. When the vertical has a worship disorder, then the horizontal follows in all kinds of ungodly ways. Uh, and especially that example, Paul say. And then 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. We have looked at verse 28 uh, last week, but appreciated Beg where he referenced that they thought themselves so high and mighty that they didn't consider God in any part of their life. You catch that in verse 28? Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. I don't like to retain God in my knowledge. I don't like to consider God in my decisions, in my actions, in my pleasures, uh, in my hobbies, uh, in my plans and pursuits. So high and mighty in and of myself, I'm not considering God. So God says, since you think you're above me, I'm going to make you prisoners of your own supposed freedom. You know, freedom isn't just getting to do whatever you want. That's not real freedom. Because doing whatever we want can bring disaster on ourselves and on the ones we love and on our society. But freedom is, and the, the scripture teaches us this, freedom is now having the freedom to get to walk in relationship with God and obey him and pursue him. That's ultimate, ultimately true freedom. And so uh, we see that sin doesn't leave our faculties alone. It, it takes us to a place where we are of a debased mind. And we do things that are not fitting, things that we ought not to do. Just a couple little highlights I wrote down in my notes on my phone when Beg was talking. He said, when oughtness goes and evaporates in a culture or society, there are two ways to fix it. Legislation or domination. When oughtness goes, right? You ought not do that. Have you, have you been watching any of the videos from like, you know, Walmart cameras or, you know, cameras outside, um, you know, city, uh, you know, downtown restaurants and people just walking by and just treating people in ways that people ought not be treated this way. And man, I just think of like, you know, when I was a kid or my own kids, one of my kids, uh, when they were little, uh, we got a call from the principal that the school bus driver had said that uh, one of our kids and another kid were poking tacks into the back of the school bus seat, you know, and it was like, oh, you we had to have a special meeting with the vice principal. Hey, you ought not do that. And nowadays it's like, oh, there's no ought nots for children. Just do whatever you want, you know, and I had shared last week, I got pulled over uh, something like 78 and a 55 trying to pass a motorcycle. In my defense, I was trying to pull a Clark Griswold, you know, and pass the motorcycle and leave him safely behind, you know, and I decided not to throw that one out to the state trooper, you know, but it was a moment for me of, you ought not have done that. It was very humbling, you know, 
And when ought, uh, how is it? When oughtness goes, and no longer are we telling anybody, like, you ought not do that, then, uh, then legislation fixes it, or domination and force is how we need to correct that. And so the following verses are really going to be an, more of an expression of a culture of decay. And as we read this list, it's like we're going to be reading like a list of charges in a trial. And what Paul, in a sense, is going to do with some 23 sins he's going to reference is he's going to tabulate the sins that flow like a river out of people who have a rejection of God. But it's very important that we don't lose verses 16 through 25 when we read this list. Um, Because 16 and 17 give us the solution. It's kind of like the solution before the problem, right? Uh, And then, you know, something like 18 through 25 show us how we got here in the first place. And then the list of sins. But when we just, you know, everyone knows Romans 1 and the latter part. And we all have to use it as a weapon. And um, I remember there was a meme going out in June. And it was like, every Christian's Bible reading plan during Pride Month. And it was like, Sunday, Romans 1. Monday, Romans 1. Tuesday, Romans 1. Wednesday, Romans 1. It's just like, what are you reading during June in your Bible reading plan? Romans 1. It's like, that's great and kind of funny. But if you don't know the context and the hope that's there for every one of us who fit into Romans 1 in one spot or another, then man, we leave this part today on a bad note and on a sour note. And so it's important that each sin that's listed is just flowing out of hearts that have said no to God. I know better than you, God. You might be even right in all these ways, but here for me, this thing, you know, if you want to be Schmeagles from Lord of the Rings, you know, my precious, you know, this is my precious. Don't touch it, God. You know, have you ever seen Lord of the Rings? We recently watched it with our kids and Schmeagles. He can be so precious with those eyes, so bright and shiny, you know, if, if whatever he is could be precious, you know, but then he... When his idol is touched, when that ring is touched, he just lashes out and is violent and demonic, right? And that's every one of us for these little pet things that we have that we don't want God to touch. And so I'd really encourage you as we go through this list, will you just do me a favor and put the pointing of the finger away? Oh, them or, or the, the culture or this community or this or this or oh I happen to know someone in this amphitheater that this is totally them <laughs> you know and uh, instead of pointing <laughs> I just was reminded of my grandma who had really bad arthritis and her finger went down like this when she pointed it made me feel good because she wasn't actually pointing at me <laughs> you know and so it put the pointing of the finger away and let the Lord deal with you in the ways that you have fallen short in these areas. And you need the remedy of the gospel. And I think when we do that, that's when oughtness is remedied in our culture. So here we go. Verse 29. 
being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers. So just in this verse here, 29, we see that Christ-rejecting men are filled up with and complete with the following things. It refers to a state that we are in, a state of degeneracy. We are degenerates, friends. Oh, aren't you just so uplifted today? Yeah, you just full-on called us degenerates, you know? I lump myself into that category, a sinner that needs a savior. We are complete and filled up with, first of all, unrighteousness. We looked at this word in verse 18. The wrath of God from heaven towards men is revealed against all unrighteousness, which speaks of injustice and unjust deeds. And just ask the Lord to get the radar of the Holy Spirit out and just wave it in in front of your heart. Lord, how have I been unjust? Sexually immoral? You know, uh, this is just one of those ways that people say, oh, you know, why is Paul pointing out so much about homosexuality? And why is that kind of like the pet? peeve of Christians in society today and they're just really against that but you don't see anything against sexual immorality I don't believe that's true I believe that there is a passion for purity within the church men fighting for purity in their eyes and their heart and their mind classes going on at our church and men and women for purity and the Lord to restore integrity and holiness in hearts and homes uh, I'd say with homosexuality, though, there's the trumpeting of acceptance that's been happening all the more within the church these days. But with immorality this week, I don't know if you were watching the news at all. It certainly was in my feed on July 27th. The GOP representative Nancy Mace went to uh, the, the national prayer meeting um, breakfast. And she was uh, just, you know, how wonderful to know this representative was at the prayer meeting. Well, she was interviewed afterwards and she told the audience on camera how she had declined intimacy with her fiance that morning as he tried to pull her back into bed with her because I got to get to the prayer meeting. And, you know, that's actually good, right? Like, right on. Like, no, like I got to go seek the Lord. But in her conversation and in her interview, she said, he can wait. There's plenty of time for that this afternoon. I'm coming. I'm coming home, you know, and just everyone was just like, oh, but there was an outrage and an outcry against that, that this is what's acceptable in the national prayer meeting um, by our state representatives that uh, living in immorality with a fiance and, and like ready right after worship to come back to you, you know? Uh, So it's just, it's evident, right? Just all in front of us, uh, immorality like this. Now, sexual immorality, it's the Greek word pornea, doesn't take a whole lot of like, what does this, you know, fit with in our culture and in our day? And it's been said to be kind of a junk drawer term, 
that fits anything that is immoral in sexual immorality, anything that is immoral that maybe the Bible hasn't been specific on, if it's outside of the marriage bed, which is honorable above all, Hebrews tells us, then it is that, it's in that junk drawer. And it's like the Lord did us just a, a great favor by saying, hey, I know your minds are just so deceptive. You try to create all kinds of things that can get around the rule. You just need to know that anything outside of the covenant of marriage of, of a husband and a wife for life, uh, that is immorality, sexual immorality. Now, interesting, as I was reading this and studying, uh, I don't think I've ever noticed before that uh, the sexual immorality phrase is not in original manuscripts. And of course, we know that it it's in many other lists of sins. I'm not saying it's not a sin. Um, but the interesting thing is, is those who um, wave a banner that's a rainbow banner many of times say, how come you're so hard on this when down the list is sexual morality? And the interesting thing is that's not on this list uh, in the original. And someone saw fit to kind of put it in there with the list. And that's a helpful note, perhaps. Um, it's in other lists in Corinthians and so on. But it's not in the original Romans list. Moving on, wickedness. And so evidence of a debased heart that's worshiping created things rather than the creator is wickedness. Wickedness. Uh, this can refer to supernatural occultic powers. So Wicca, right? Wicca and wickedness. That speaks of maliciousness. And then going on, covetousness is listed here. So being filled up with covetousness. Maybe your Bible says greediness or exploitation. It can also be translated a radical self-assertion. Listen to that. A radical self-assertion. Because we desire and want so bad what God has not given us. We feel like we deserve these things. We must have this thing. And so we're going to be radical in obtaining it, even at the expense of others. So covetousness also could be said to be lust. Wanting what is not yours and you don't have that someone else has. Uh, it's, it's a radical self-assertion when we're filled with this and we want to get it. We are taking the place of God in our life to get that person, place, object, thing, whatever it may be. Uh, the antonym for covetousness, what's the opposite of maybe a spirit-filled individual? Would be benevolence and generosity. And so I, I see how maybe the Lord does that in you, you know, where he, at one time I was so covetous and greedy and I want, wanted. And then when the Holy Spirit came in me and transformed me and I was forgiven by Jesus. Uh, now, man, I just find I'm not covetous and want, want. But I found what Jesus says to be true, that it's better to give than to receive. Uh, being filled with all maliciousness. 
to simplify it for you, that's just badness. <laughs> just being filled with badness or hateful feelings. It speaks in the Greek of wishing evil on others. Feeling the need to see others suffer. Do you think that can happen at all within a church? Within a body? Feeling the need to see others suffer? It speaks of beastly, bitter, noxious activity is what maliciousness is. The opposite of it is being friendly and sympathetic and thoughtful. Uh, and now we, we go being filled with, now there's this uh, preface of that they are full of something. So being filled, and now it's now we're full of it, right? Oh, you're full of it. Yeah, we're full of it, that's for sure. So being filled to the utmost, filled to the brim, we're full of envy. Envy. So that could go well with covetousness, don't you think? Constantly being engaged in jealousy. It's a displeasure aroused by seeing someone have something <clears throat> that you want. You want it so bad that hate arises in your heart that that person has what I want. And so we're angry and we're manipulative. We manipulate friendships and situations because they have what I want. The opposite of this is to be comforting and content with what we have. Comforted and content with what we have. Being full of murder. Full of murder. That means, of course, to slay someone. It's interesting that God placed murder right after envy. This person has what I want and I'm so full of displeasure that I want to kill them. The first murder between Cain and Abel, between them, I don't know that it was between them. <laughs> Abel's like, I had nothing to do with it, right? Uh, was jealousy and envy that Cain had towards Abel. David murdered Uriah after coveting his wife. Murders this premeditated killing of a human. And how many times have you wanted somebody to die so that you could have what they have? You've thought about it for longer than just a flash. You want to execute somebody for having something that you feel entitled to. It's murder. And uh, Chris and I were out moving cows with a guy this week and just feel like the Lord is just op opening up opportunities with him. He's not a believer and just growing to love this guy more and more. And uh, he was just talking and having a little cigarette or waiting for cows and calves to pair up. <laughs> And just talking, just love the guy as he's talking, you know. Jesus saw the rich young ruler and heard him talk and just loved him. And I'm just like, I just love this guy. I want him to know the Lord. And he's just talking. He's talking to a friend one time. He's like, you know what? I've done everything but murder and force myself on someone. You know? And we just kind of chuckled like, 
man, you've done a pretty good job, you know. And this morning I was just lying in bed like, oh, perfect opportunity to think of what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. What did Jesus say about those two things? If you're angry in your heart with your brother, then you've already murdered them. And then he said, what? If you lust, lust after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her. You know, and so it just kind of brings everything down from to the heart of the matter and what's at the kernel of every one of those sins. And oh, I've never murdered anyone or slayed anyone. Jesus says, if you're angry with a person that that anger is just, you are not forgiving them, then you've just as much murdered them in your heart. Full of strife, the text goes on to say. I, know, I hope I'm not being too hard with you. When is he transitioning back to Romans 1 and just reading up the list where there strife, which speaks of just contentions and quarreling Qu- quarreling I wish on the Great Barrier Reef and did some quarreling not that kind of quarreling <laughs> quarreling just having an argumentative disposition I just know that every time I speak to this person they're going to argue with me they got back from that Australia trip to the Great Barrier Reef and they've just been quarreling okay <clears throat> I hadn't written that great joke down, but I will for next time, right? Uh, having a lack of harmony is what strife is. Heated arguing. It's a refusal to take anything but first place while you're constantly irritated. A spiritual pain that makes you angry at people like a headache that never goes away. Paul goes on to say, full of deceit, cunning, crafty, treachery, bait and switch, fraudulent, deceit. And don't you love when someone's like, are you calling me a liar? It's like, well, maybe you haven't lied about something, but you've been deceitful about what's going on right now. Right? Deceit. Full of deceit. These are all evidence of foolish, dark-hearted, futile-mindedness that have been given over to debased minds because we worship created things rather than the Creator. Evil-mindedness, Paul says. Having an evil disposition. Again, it goes in hand with maliciousness. Or, this was a word I didn't really know until Disney came out with uh, uh, a movie about, and I can't even say it without looking at it, Malevolent, oh gosh, well isn't the movie Maleficent? Maleficent? I think it comes from the same word as malevolent, right? This guy clearly did his studying today. I know, huh? It speaks of the desire to harm people. And not just physical harm, but the way we talk about others and think about others. Two times malice is mentioned here in Romans 1. So notice it it went from uh, being filled up with, then we're full of it, 
And now it just says the the the, uh, the debased people they are the following things, which speaks of action and identity and character. So they are whisperers, whisperers. Okay, whisperers. What does that speak of? Being gossipers. People who dare not publicly proclaim the evil that they speak about other people, they only whisper it in the ears of other people. Proverbs tells us that the words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles and they go down into the inmost body. And you know what? There's the whispers and then there's those that love to hear the whispering. Oh, oh I know I shouldn't say this, but you know, so-and-so and so-and-so. Oh yeah, and just when I hear it, oh my goodness, it's just so great to do this person down because it just makes me feel so good about myself and oh, I'm so righteous compared to this sicko, you know. Oh, keep whispering. Whisper these sweet nothings about this person. Whisper, whisper, whisper. Isn't that onomatopoeia? It's a word that sounds like it. Whisper, all that gossip that's going on, right? Uh, Next time you sit down with your children and you watch Dumbo, look for the teachable moment when all the female elephants are lifting one another's ears up with their trunks and just talking bad about Dumbo, you know, Dumbo's mom. Vine's Dictionary says that whisperers are those who secretly convey information, whether true or false, that is detrimental to the care of others. Jesus says that things that are whispered in secret will be shouted from the housetops. Paul tells Timothy to shun profane and idle babblings. In the King James Version, it's vain janglings. Shun vain janglings and the whisperings. David said, oh man, set a guard at the door of my mouth. Watch over the door of my lips. And we move on in verse 30. It's tied with whisperers are backbiters. They are backbiters or backstabbers. Anybody ever been stabbed in the back? Defamers. Slanderers. And the difference is that the whisperer says these things privately and the backstabber says things publicly. And a lot of times they say, hey, at least I said it publicly. And you know, you might be saying something that's true, but it's detrimental to the welfare of the other person and the way you're communicating it. Proverbs tells us that the north wind brings forth rain and a backstabbing tongue and angry countenance. Man, how powerful the north wind changing the weather, you know, bringing in the clouds and the rain. If you're a backstabber, it's going to bring anger into those relationships. Uh, Paul goes on to say they are haters of God. And in the Greek lexicon, it just reverses it and just calls it God-hating. God-hating. Do we see that in our culture today? God-hating. They're violent or insolent insulters. Violent. 
proud, speaks of arrogant and showing yourself above another. And if you'll just flip to Philippians, flip to Philippians 2. Anytime you think of pride, and the opposite of pride would be humility, just that the Lord would give us, just take away my pride, Lord, and give me humility. I hope your mind would go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, where it says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others as better than himself. That's the heart of Jesus, is that we would just have low-mindedness about ourselves and high-mindedness about others. Esteeming others is better than ourselves. Let each of you not look out for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And then here's the gospel brought to it. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so, man, look out for others, esteem others as better than yourself. Instead of pride and haughtiness, have low mindedness about yourself, high mindedness towards others. And then it says, Jesus is the example of that. He's the model and the motivation is that he is God. And he came down and humbled himself and was a servant and gave his life and went so low that he ended up dying on a criminal's cross. But connected to the proud are the boasters in Romans one or the braggarts, the arrogance. And it speaks of those that wander around as vagabonds and imposters, and they just go around and talk about how awesome they are. Have you ever known anybody like that? Have you ever been that? Maybe that maybe that's you, or maybe that was you before Jesus. Just a boaster. I remember when the Lord got a hold of my life, I went to this Christian class. We had release time in school, and we were able to get out of school and go to like um, my church did a just a equipping class for students. And one of the kids that would come to this, I don't know if he'd been born again yet, but this guy could not talk highly enough about himself and his epic guitar playing skills. And just, brah, 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 I'm awesome, I'm awesome. And I was 15 years old, 14, 15, and I just remember being disgusted by this braggart. And you know, someone once said, people avoid the boasters. And you might be in a conversation and you can just tell that person can't wait for you to shut up so they can tell how they're better than you in their story. You know, and just boasting and bragging. The world knows how to affirm themselves. Moving on, inventors of evil things. Inventors of evil things. I like what J.B. Phillips says, how he translated it. Their minds teemed with diabolical inventions. Inventors of evil things. This is more than parachute pants or hydrogenated oils or subprime mortgages. <laughs> Not just weapons of mass destructions or Agent Orange. 
It's those who delight in creating new forms of injuring people. It can be words for goodness sake. Something that comes from a flash of genius that you've had on how to, how to hurt someone or put them down or kill somebody like this. You know, it's interesting. Proverbs 6 says this. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, or I would say inventors of evil things, right? Uh, Feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness that speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. And one thing that I've seen as a pastor is that sometimes there will be these waves of turmoil within the church, and people will kind of have pet issues that really are frustrating to them. And so they will go about the church making waves gossiping, spreading rumors, causing division, putting meetings together with others so that they can split the church and divide the church. And the issues that they're concerned about are not biblical sins. They're not even gray areas. It might just be a different opinion about something. So it's like, I typically say, man, I don't necessarily know if God has a right or a wrong way to do this or that, or, or maybe this is a gray area within the church and Christian liberties. But I know this division and gossiping and murmuring and complaining and all this is wicked. God hates it. It's divisive. I just want to encourage you is, is your pet project peeve, even a sinful thing that's It's leading you into sinfulness. Uh, This next one we're going to take next week. Disobedient to parents. And just to get you through the week. (laughs) Disobedient to parents. Look at the list. So this is just for, for youth, kids, middle school, high school. Boy, you wouldn't think disobedient to parents should be on the same list as murder, genocide, you know, inventing evil things like homosexuality. You know, it's it's like a concluding bookend in the list for Paul. And, uh, and I know, man, I was 15 once and I'll share a little next week about my experience of being just the most perfect example of obedience as a teenager. But let me just encourage you kids right now. You got a week ahead of you. Summertime is a time where we have been given from the world to just be selfish and live for ourselves for three months. And to just consume what my flesh can consume so I can rest and relax and not just have fill up my cup of my flesh 
before I have to go back to like listening to someone else bring structure to my life. So summer times can be rough for the fighting and the bickering and the arguing and the complaining and disobeying our mom and dad while they're off working and we're at home doing the things we shouldn't do. And I just tell you right now, you need to bring the gospel to bear on your heart of what Jesus has done for you this week. Have Jesus in front of you every day. Start out your summer morning with being in the Bible, thinking about Jesus. Read the gospels. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because I've been a kid once. I know how hard it is to obey these older people that clearly have no idea what they're talking about. I know how it is. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. And isn't it wonderful that the Holy Spirit is for little kids to middle school, high school, college students? It's for us that are older and now have older parents and now we're trying to figure out how to honor our mother and father. The Holy Spirit is for us in all of these things. And so look to Jesus, who's the best example of obeying his father this week. Before then, we just really look at what the Bible has to say about children obeying your parents. And we'll have the worship team come back up uh, as we wrap it up here. There are uh, 31 closes with some poetic uns. Uns. Undiscerning. In that they're senseless, foolish, and foolish and without understanding. Untrustworthy. And that they cannot keep an agreement or a pledge. They're unloving. Which speaks of being heartless and hard-hearted and without natural affection. It speaks to parents and the natural affection that they should have for their children. And we see the depravity of man in our culture in parents being unloving to their children. Unforgiving. Just never willing to forgive, never willing to reconcile, never willing to make a truce, unforgiving. Does that, do any of these ring home for you? Unforgiving, unmerciful, you know, someone's come to you and apologized and that, their apology just wasn't good enough for you. No mercy. Uh, my daughter Tatum has a shirt that I don't know where she got it from, but it's from Cowgirl Volleyball. Cowgirl Volleyball. So I think we got it from the McKinnons. <laughs> I, think, I think Casey printed these on her own at-home printer machine. Because Cowgirl Volleyball with like a cute horse and a cowgirl roping something on the front and on the back. And Tatum wears it now. This tall. Cowgirl Volleyball. And on the back, no mercy. <laughs> you know. And some of us, that's our motto, no mercy. And then uh, closing it out, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only that do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And we'll touch on this next week as well, kind of ending chapter uh, one, going into chapter two. It all ties into chapter two so well. But here's that word knowing again. We know God. We know our creator. We know there's a creator. And we know the righteous judgment of God. We know that anyone that practices things in this list, capital punishment is an appropriate response to that. 
And what's especially sickening to the Lord is not only when people uh, uh, do those things, but then they want others to do it as well. And Alistair Begg said, if you're a bad little boy that steals pears, the best thing for you and your habit is to get a gang of more bad little boys and get go steal more pears. Because it's like, we've got our gang now. We've got people that are behind us in this. I don't know why. He's from Scotland. You know, they have weird examples. Like, what are you into, Alistair Begg? You know? Oh, we just want people to join us in our debauchery. Because then we won't feel bad about it anymore. Why don't you set your things aside and, and uh, we'll close down in some worship. I know the macaws were just hoping I'd bring them up about 10 minutes early before I was done preaching so he could sit here, <laughs> right? Uh, but let's uh, set our things aside. And Lord, we made a covenant with one another at the beginning of the service that we would put our pointing fingers away. And we would realize that we need to just let this section wash over us. And just the question could be asked at the end of all of this is we're convicted of our sin. What now? What do we do now? What is the remedy? And just right now where we're at, let's just step in the remedy that the Lord's given us through the word and that he says that we would confess our sins to him if we confess our sins to him he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and so right now just where you're at as the piano is playing Take a minute and just maybe you even have your Bible open or maybe you just, you know, the things that stuck out to you today and just maybe you want to whisper it or maybe just in the quiet of your heart, you just say, Lord, I, I read about this and this and this and all of these things. These are just things that I've practiced. I've done. I have, it's my struggle, my bent towards sin. I just want to confess that I have sinned in this way before you and just right now let's take a moment to confess to the Lord these things things, Lord. We just declare that they are wrong and they all come from us worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. And so we want to turn away from that type of worship. And even as we close down here, we want to turn to worshiping you. We just ask you right now, Lord, that you would work in us by your spirit, just the habit of worshiping you and thanking you and being grateful to you and singing to you and praying to you and 
finding our hope and joy and healing and fulfillment in you, Lord. You're worthy of adoration and praise. Take our hearts and make them longers of yours again. And we reflect upon verse 16. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And so, Lord, today we believe in the gospel. We believe in the gospel. Thank you for forgiving us, for washing us, Lord. 